Good afternoon. The time is 2 o'clock. Welcome to Vox Pop for this Thursday, February 1st. I'm Ray Graff. It is time for the first gardening show of 2024, and we welcome back our team. Greg Ward from Ward's Nursery, Fred Breglia from Landis Arboretum, Bob Graves from Fadigan's Nursery, and Delilah Riggs of the Berry Patch. You got a question about gardening? Yeah, it's a little early. Weather isn't that great yet. Do it anyway. Give us a call. 800-348-2551. 1-800-348-2551. Feel free to email, as several people have already done, voxpop at wamc.org. Voxpop at wamc.org with your gardening questions. Or call 800-348-2551. Bob, Fred, Dale Isla, and Greg, your gardening calls coming up after the news. Hello again. Welcome back to Vox Pop, WAMC's live afternoon call-in talk show. I'm Ray Graff. It's gardening today, and we welcome back Dale Isla Riggs, owner and operator of the Berry Patch in Steventown, New York, Greg Ward from Ward's Nursery in Great Barrington, Massachusetts, Fred Breglia from the Landis Arboretum in Esperance, New York, and Bob Graves from Fadigan's Nursery in Latham, New York. You have a gardening question? Call. 800-348-2551 is our number, or you can email us, voxpop at wamc.org. That's the email address, voxpop at wamc.org, and the number is 800-348-2551. If you are planning something for the spring and you want to get a head start, give us a call, and uh, let's welcome our crew, Bob Graves. How are things over at Fatigas? Well, cloudy right now, but I think we're going to get some sun. What are you guys doing the uh, cold weather months over there at the uh, nursery? <laughs> Get ready for the warm weather months. Yeah. <laughs> so <Pretty> much. <laughs> it's so all preparation. The work know. doesn't stop. Oh, no. Fixing equipment, you know, building displays, putting out new product, breaking, f- fixing things that broke. And, yeah. Yeah. Oh, we're busy. And uh, Greg Ward, a similar situation over at Ward's Nursery, yeah? Yeah. No, it's very similar. You know, though, you know, the... The greenhouse is open, and so wandering around in there is pretty fun. Um, little bird feeding. Uh, it's definitely some, you know, not starting seeds yet, but the seeds are in. So, so looking those over is uh, kind of a, a fun thing. You know, little house plant care. There's, you know, right now is a great time to just look at what your plants are doing and if there's any stresses, any, you know, any pest issues, any. Uh, temperature or moisture or lack of moisture issues. issues. Yeah. So lots yeah. to do. And you're a Boyd fancier, yeah? I am a little little obsessive about that. <laughs> hey, listen, man, we're, we're doing a bird show next week. Feel free. Come on over. Join the fun. I, I appreciate the invitation. Or you uh, can listen. I think I'll listen. All right, fair enough. Thanks. Dale Isla Riggs, what goes on at the Berry Patch in Steventown in these cold weather months? In these cold weather months, similar to Bob and Greg, we're doing cleanup in the greenhouse and sanitizing benches and... Um, all the seeds are in, and I'm sorry, sanitizing benches where you have very dirty clientele. Uh... So, <laughs> uh, from the plant perspective, yeah, there's a lot of diseases that can overwinter on the growing surfaces, so we uh, clean all that up you, with a, you treat a, a greenhouse almost like an operating room. I mean, yeah. you go in there and you just sterilize everything. Wow. To yep. minimize the fungus disease, mostly. Yep, get the sidewalls cleaned off, get some uh, new weed mat down, and making plans for the season, making sure all our seed orders are in. So um, 
trying to get a little bit of fun time in before we. Uh, yeah, well, I heard you and Fred season. talking about skiing for the entire break, so now I, I, I know all about skiing. Yes, and uh, yeah. we're harvesting spinach. This is what I'm saying. So you're doing, so, you're growing stuff over there now. This spinach looks fantastic. It is fantastic. We're mainly growing it for us this, season, ah, this time of year. And yeah. I get to share in the yes, fun. we are sharing some of it because the spinach is so nice right now and so sweet and delicious. Do you like the cooked spinach? I do not do. I don't spinach. do it either, but I love raw spinach, so this is great. Yeah, and you know, I hated spinach till I started growing my own spinach. Yeah, that yeah, was so something you, I would not. eat. As a kid, too. I never liked spinach do you like either. And then potatoes? I do I like what? Mashed potatoes? Not really. Okay, never mind. Why? <laughs> well, so so taking t- you got your mashed potatoes. You've, yeah, you've mashed them, or you're about to mash them. Okay, yeah. you've put in a little butter, a little maybe milk or yogurt or whatever. Then take the raw spinach everything's hot in the pot right and throw a handful in there and mash it in there oh okay well that sounds good it gets it gets cooked by the potatoes you know gets it, right. you know but it's really it's tasty i've never heard that done before it's, is that I, award family secret it, no uh, christine my wife does it i have no idea i assume she learned it somewhere are you going to do that now that you have some spinach well, it's, it's exactly what i was thinking to do, to do that's so great uh fred breglia the landis arboretum what are you doing over there right now in the yep. cold weather so um well we finished our season uh 23 wrapping up uh taking out an incredible amount of invasive species we've um we just had a you know a good run of weather for us to be able to work outside longer this year and and we used it to in our advantage we Took out mostly uh, mostly common buckthorn, which is a big one for us, and uh, the Tartarian honeysuckle, another sort of a pain in our grass. <laughs> and, uh, so we sort of you know got really a lot of pro- uh, productivity done with that, and then we started our season up with um, some farmhouse repair. So we're doing some inside stuff. We've got some grants that are helping to fund um, the renovation of the historic farmhouse. And uh, so we're getting a new kitchen set up right now, kind of when the staff is not as busy inside and, you know, we don't need to have those spaces used as much. So we're kind of trying to get as much indoor stuff as we can done. There's a bunch more work scheduled for the outside of that house um, coming up this spring and summer. And then we've been spending some time um, uh, pruning uh, oaks in particular. And uh, for anyone that's, you know, thinking about getting out there and pruning or think about pruning oak trees the time to prune oak trees right now is is the winter is the winter is the dormant season there's a uh, fungal pathogen um, that causes a disease called oak wilt and uh, because of that it's um, it, you know there really is no good time to prune oaks except for that dormant season so uh-huh. right now is, is sort of prime time and, uh, it, so we've been doing that and then also cleaning up and starting to think about spring and and uh, our greenhouse and land has grown and kind of like Del Alice said you know starting to you know, we, we haven't quite sanitized benches and stuff yet, but it's it's going to be happening probably in the next, you know, two or three weeks. So we're, you know, planning for spring and, and having fun in the winter, too. Is the Landis open all year round? Absolutely. Yeah, we're open um, year round. Uh, normally, we have quite a bit of snowshoeing, even some cross-country skiing uh, activity. This year, it's been a lot more hiking. Yeah. Um, there has been a couple of snowstorms where we did see folks get out with snowshoes, and I was able to get out one time. But um, for the most part, we are snow covered, but it's just you're almost better off with um, probably little micro spikes than you are snowshoes right now to get around. It's little icy patches, but the trails are in great shape. And of course, there is some winter cleanup. So that's the other piece mm. of it. You know, trees break during winter storms and we sort of clean them up. But uh, the grounds are open. The trails are open. Dawn to dusk year round, free of charge um, to mm. everyone. 
Bob Graves is here from Fatigan's Nursery, Fred Breglia from Landis Arboretum, Dale Isla Riggs from the Berry Patch, and Greg Ward from Ward's Nursery. It's the first gardening show of the year. It seems like it's been a long time, but here we go again, and we have a stack of emails. Let's do a few before the first break. This one's from Susie in Saratoga. I have a healthy 30-year-old maple near the house, happily spreading branches. I could preempt one good-sized branch from allowing squirrels to the roof if I cut it soon. It's a good 10 to 11 inches in diameter at the growth collar and a good 8 to 10 feet off the ground. I could do it with my pole saw by hand, but I should probably let someone with a chainsaw handle it. Question, do the cutting before the sap, or do the cutting before the sap runs? Question mark. My understanding is to not cut during the leafing out or dropping leaves. And that's from Susie in Saratoga. Yep, so correct with the, um, you know, not really pruning during the leaf out or the dropping of leaves. There's a lot of physiological activity then, so we, we generally say don't prune during that period. Um, if you had to take a single branch off of a maple tree, uh, this time of year, you could, because, I mean, Mother Nature breaks branches off maple trees this time of year anyways, and it's not going to kill the tree, but um, we generally um, prune what we call bleeder species, trees that um, produce a lot of sap flow in the spring. Uh, maples are certainly one of them. Birches do this as well. Those types of plants, we generally recommend uh, pruning after uh, the leaf out, so it'd be more of a midsummer. Okay prune ideally um, another idea for her too is if the branch is going towards the house you may not have to take the entire branch off back to the trunk you might be able to, to reduce that branch enough that um, that the squirrels would not be able to get onto the roof that way but it would still you know retain that main branch and why would why would you want to do that well smaller cuts are better on uh, in general uh, larger cuts take longer to process to to compartmentalize and to sort of seal. Hmm. And uh, smaller cuts, are you're usually cutting into more sap wood, and they're very forgiving. So if you don't make a perfect cut, it forgives that gotcha. easier. And it also is going to require a lot less energy to seal that up or compartmentalize. So anytime right. you can leave it on and do a little reduction cut to keep it away from the roof, it's probably a little better. But And that if she does go for the whole branch, 11 inches... That's is big. big. That's what I'm saying. And it might so be able to reduce that. Get, right, get some help and if she can't, get some help. I a professional, yeah. yeah. Yes. That's yes. a good idea. Yes. All right, yeah. this email from Paul, and then we'll take a quick break. Uh, Paul wants to ask Delila, what variety of spinach and when did you plant it? So these got planted in uh, late October and early November. And the two varieties I'm harvesting right now are called Carmel and Reflect. Mm. So there are some varieties of spinach that you should not try to overwinter, um, that you should only plant in the spring or very early summer. But then there are other varieties, and you can look this up in the seed catalogs, that are meant to be planted in the fall and overwinter the spinach. So and you're growing this inside. This is in a, a, in a hoop house. This a is in a hoop house, yeah. but you can also grow overwintered spinach in the field in Albany County. Vegetable growers used to do that all the time. Plant again in the fall. They won't start harvesting till March or April mm -hmm. when growth starts. But spinach is one of the few crops that the leaves can freeze solid and then still thaw and ah. still be edible wow. versus disappearing into mush. Mush. These leaves, yeah. I mean, they're hardy. They look beautiful. They, they are really nice great. this year, this yeah, time of year. Can't wait for that. Zach, the engineer, let's take a break here. It's gardening today, 800-348-2551. Fred Bregley, Greg Ward, Dale Ida Riggs, and Bob Graves. We'll do a couple more emails, and then we'll hit the phones.
Vox Pop on WAMC. Ray Graff with you. It's gardening today with Greg Ward, Dale Isla Riggs, Bob Graves, and Fred Breglia. And this email from Ann and Adams. I'm so excited the gardening show is back. Well, so are we. And spring will be early because that stupid rodent in PA won't be able to see its shadow too cloudy. I had a crazy thing happen, says uh, Ann. Last fall, when I took my dahlias out, I put the last flower in water to keep it hanging on for a bit. The flower died. Then I saw one tiny green leaf, so kept it in water. Now I have an 8-inch long vibrant green stem with leaves and a healthy multi-leg root system. Should I plant it in potting soil now? How can I keep this plant going? And that's from Ann and Adams. Yeah, exactly. Plant yeah. it in potting soil now. That would be perfect. Yeah? Yeah. That, I mean, that's how they, you know, they, you can propagate them by dividing the tubers, but you can also take cuttings. And that's what she did. Yep, vegetative cutting. Yeah. All right, let, let me ask you a question about onions. Now, you, you all know that I know very little about gardening, as I do about most subjects that I, I do on this show. So we have some onions in the house, and one of them, it's on the counter, is starting to grow the green whatever coming out of the top. These suckers are getting big. This onion's ostensibly dead, right? How is it continuing to sprout these huge green sprouts out of the top? It's stored energy. No, it's, yeah? a, it's a bulb. It's a bulb. All the energy it needs to grow is in the bulb already. Yeah. So yeah, all how, that white, how, white how to... flesh is energy that's pushing, you know, and then the, the, you know, it's catching some sun. So you're getting some chlorophyll and that combination is, is making it happen. Same as like any bulb or any like dormant plant that we see, any tree, shrub, it's, it doesn't have any photosynthesis happening, but how does it leaf out through stored energy? So stored energy is quite marvelous. It is really interesting. And, and just like those other bulbs, it's going to produce a flower to produce seed. An onion flower. It yep. It's a biennial. So every, yep. so every, the second year is when it flowers and produces its seed. So that's just doing, it's doing what it's programmed to do. Are you suggesting, Dale Isla Riggs, that we keep this onion on the counter for two more years? <laughs> I personally would eat it. Okay. I, would, I would dice it up. All right, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, this email from Susie. I have a crepe myrtle that has beautiful, graceful, long branches, but very few flowers. I'm loath to cut them short to have more blooms. What's your opinion on what I've heard called crepe murder? I'm in uh, Aiken, South Carolina, Zone 8. That's from Susie. That's that's that was the first question. That was the first question. Yeah, where, <laughs> where, where are, are you? Growing, <laughs> yeah, we knew it wasn't yeah. New York. It wasn't here. Um, We're not hardy. I don't think. Here. Yeah, any, I don't think any of us have a pruning experience on that plant. Um, it does I believe bloom on new wood? But I'd have to double check that. And um, so I think that's what she's getting at. If you reduce it significantly, it will. Um, you know, have put out a lot of new growth and then more flowers. They, yeah. they grow like mad down there. It should be doing well. Yeah, and they're like a, a July, June, July, August mm -hmm. bloom. That's, they're blooming, you know, summertime. Any ideas, Fred? You know, I've heard um, less is more in terms of pruning on them, and that might be partly mm -hmm. because if it is a, a plant that produces flowers on the current wood. But I'd have to look that one up myself. I've never pruned a crepe myrtle like um, Never I've seen them, yeah. but um, and I've admired them. I actually like the plant. They're cool. They're cool trees. Spectacular. Yeah, really cool trees. Yeah. Um, you know, never had the privilege of working with one of those uh, here in upstate New York. I, I so, would think that um, there's a sun, you know, or a light level. If she's not getting a lot of flower, 
then she may not have it in a bright location because like any flowering plant that's usually where you see them when you when you go down there they're in parks and they're open in open areas yeah if they wanted to email me though she wanted to email me uh fred at landisarboretum.org i have a lot of friends that are arborists around the country and a lot of them are in a lot warmer zones than me and they've uh, some of them are definitely down south, and I've had extensive experience with crepe myrtles. You're, so. you're saying they're a lot smarter than us. They work. They, they live where it's warmer. <laughs> More experience with crepe myrtle. I don't know if I'd go smarter. Here. Uh, well, Bob. I will say that, that Greg is correct that they bloom on new growth, so pruning is need that is needed should be done prior to new growth beginning. Okay. One more email, and then we'll hit the phones, and then we'll go back to the emails later. 800-348-2551 is the number. This one is from Stephanie. No, it's not. It's from Kristen. Whatever. Kristen, it doesn't matter because you don't know her. Kristen in South Glens Falls wants to know how she can get rid of grubs. She already has tried seven crystals, lime, at prayers to Mother Nature. Any thoughts? Panel. Oh. Well, there there are a, a couple different ways to do that. There are uh, your regular pesticides that you can apply, some of which are not terribly toxic, believe it or not. Uh, and you can also use uh, the uh, what am I Bacil- a bacillus? It's a um, bacillus. BT. Yeah, it's a BT for BT that for affects yeah beetles rather than. Um, than Lepidopter rather than uh, moths. That was the, also uh, milky spore disease. Milky spore. Now the, That's the, only the, Japanese beetles. That's the thing. The tricky thing with beetles is there's three different beetle species yep. common in this area, and milky spore only works on Japanese beetles. Yep, and you'd have to, um, only, you'd have to ID them. The only way you can ID them is by looking at the hairs on their rear end. On their butts. I was going to say, yeah. study their butts. <laughs> what that's, the? All right. It sounds... I, all right. It's, and I would recommend a hand lens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. microscope. Yeah. It, it can be done. I learned I've that in it. college, so he's not just making... So, that out. <laughs> so um, when, it, when it comes to grubs, we you actually know, did that. <laughs> you, usually having a, a a more diverse lawn, so not just one, you know, sort of monoculture. If you're if you're talking about grass, making sure that the the grass seed you're using is mixed. You have you have a lot of fescues. You have yep. perennial rise as well as possibly some bluegrass. Um, and uh, uh, you know, if it's well irrigated, um, if it's um, you know the soil is in good shape, then then generally you have. Um, Sure, you might have some grub damage here or there, but if you're if you're having extensive uh, infestations, then there's some imbalance. Right. Right. The Could other be. thing, people often say, I've got grubs because I've got moles. Yeah. But that's not necessarily true. The mole's primary food, food source is earthworms. Ah. So you could have no grubs and have a terrible mole problem. And that's more commonly, in my experience, that's what they're worried about yep. is the moles. Yeah, a lot of times you'll see the mounds of soil coming yep. up, and automatically a lot of people don't. Yeah, they just assume and, it's a grub And problem. there's a lot more activity. Moles have, are much more active when you're not actively on the lawn. So if you're running the lawnmower over the lawn you know what, they're all out summer, there now. They're, really, exactly. They're, really they're, active. They're not there in the summer, but when yeah. you stop, you and the, as we just determined, the ground is at 37 degrees, yeah, it's, so it's, it's not frozen. not really frozen. They, they are out there. They're saying, yeah. hey, it's a party. Um uh, nobody's out here. We're going we're gonna to yeah. have fun. Okay. Let's go to our phone lines here. It's gardening, 800-348-2551. We begin with Chuck and Kinderhook. Chuck, you're on. Glad you're back. Uh, I was wondering about, is it too, too late to plant tulip bulbs? If, uh, if you have them, plant them. Uh, there's not much option. If you got them, <laughs> get them in the ground. Yep. And, and we're lucky it's not frozen. Yeah. So yeah, I think it'd still be okay. I, I think it could work. I actually, do plant I plant them deep. You know, a good six or eight inches of soil on top of the bulb. I forget how many weeks of cold they need. Thirteen. Usually weeks. it's thirteen. Thirteen weeks of cold. We I got think, yeah. 
Close. Yeah, it'll might have. Yeah, they might know, quick it warms up. You should definitely plant them if you have them because yep. there's no as as um, we you said there's no alternative. No, yeah, keeping them, they're going to lose them. Yeah. Yep. Thank you. Yep. Thanks, Chuck. Appreciate the call. Let's go to New Paltz. Adrian, you're on. Hey, hi. Um, when I lived in Michigan, uh, some of the guys in the fruit orchards were talking about they could never get enough labor in the summertime to do what's called summer tip pruning. You, you, you go in, and uh, I've seen a couple of YouTubes from some British uh, uh, fruit growers, but I just wonder whether anybody in the Hudson Valley, you wind up eliminating a lot of that whip growth that grows uh, straight up and uh, eliminates a lot of heavy pruning needed in the wintertime. Uh, the way that I was told about it. So uh, I'll hang up and, and listen. Always a great show, Ray. Take care. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Okay, so, panel. So a lot has changed with, with our fruit tree pruning um, um, in the past. The science behind it, the fruit science behind the pruning of the actual trees, uh, apple trees, has changed dramatically. Um, we, uh, we used to um, try to shorten these branches up, and, and what it does is it makes them stiffer. And stiffer branches don't bend with fruit, so you can hold more fruit better no problem you know people are afraid of breakage and other things yeah uh, well and then you know generally speaking our fruit trees are, are usually you know grown to a certain height and then they're topped out and um and then that creates a lot of sprouts and and suckers so so the, how does that how does that change well nowadays um the, the cutting edge of this is that you actually the, the apple tree is designed to be a single leader tree and it's um either going to be dwarf or, or semi-dwarf um and uh, what you want to do is pick the species that you want to uh, to plant that's going to get to the height you want. So if you want a smaller tree, get it. Make sure it's a dwarf, true dwarf. And if you want a little bit bigger, get a semi-dwarf. And the goal is to actually let that tree grow uh, without uh, topping it at all up to its desired height. Now, when it gets up to that, let's say that the dwarf is going to be 14 feet, 12 feet, 14 feet tall, you could start to bend that top instead of cutting it, bend it. And uh, even if you bend it and actually crack a little bit, here's a wood cracking, that's okay. You've now got that top um, trained. It's going to now have that weeping look. Ah. Um, and you're not going to ever top it. And if you don't top it, you don't, um, you don't get nearly the amount of sprouts or suckers that you end up having to spend all your time taking away. The other amazing thing is that um, we used to always shorten these branches to make them stiffer. But we've learned now that if you actually let the branches grow long, whip like whips, and let them bend, that they end up bending below. So if you, if you can envision my, my, my arm coming out here, the branch is horizontal. Right. Uh, if it's up, it's going gonna, it's gonna to always, always produce sprouts and suckers. But if you let that branch just naturally grow and it gets long, what happens? Fruit forms, it pulls the branch down. If that branch is sloping down below the horizontal line, no water sprouts, oh, no suckers. So, um, so I always say, don't get suckered into suckers. So that's more or less the um, the approach we're going now. A lot of times, fruit trees were pruned open, um, like an open vase, to let a lot more light in, and that's also no longer been the the case. We still need light in, but we do it creating a chimney along that central trunk. So we prune X amount of feet out from that central uh. trunk. We take everything off. And then uh, it creates a light chimney, which is also great for airflow. All the uh, interior foliage gets enough light. It forms tons of fruit. Right. And um, some people like to say limb them up. We always like to say leave some of those low branches down. Why? Because if they're low branches down and the snow sort of pushes them down and, uh, and you get rabbits in there and they're going to want to start girdling fruit 
trees. If you have low branches, they'll take the branches, the low branches, and eat them, and they'll leave your trunks alone. Oh, um, so wow. you know those are the big those are the biggies right now that have changed. It's more going back towards more of a natural wet, wet process in terms of the way the tree would grow. And, um, and, and what you see in orchards a lot now is they're doing much more with columnar trees, much closer together. When you drive by newer orchards, that's true. They look completely different than they did 30 they do. or 40 years ago. They do. All right, this email from Yvonne, when to start summer bulbs? When is the best time to start colocasia uh, elephant ears indoors? What medium is best for starting, and are the bulbs or corms available in garden centers yet? A little early. Yeah, usually not available, uh, at least in our area, till late March. March, Um, But if you have wintered some, usually, you know, and, and you've got, let them go on dormant, you could certainly start them anytime. You certainly could start them today. Um, but there's, there's no need. As soon as um, you have the space, as soon as you have a nice, warm, you know, sunny location in your house, um, that's when I would start them. And if that's not until, you know, late late April or 1st of May, then there's no reason why you can't I wait. I usually like to wait a little bit because it's so cloudy now. There's not a, there's not a whole lot of sun. Yeah. Just naturally, if you get back or into later March and April, a whole different, ah. whole different amount of sun, yep. and a whole lot longer day length. Exactly. T- yep. Tomorrow is yes. a really critical point for um, exactly. anyone that does does grow vegetables, winter vegetables in a greenhouse, because tomorrow is the day that we hit ten hours a day length ah. here in the capital district, and so things really start to take off in February. But when you're at less than ten hours. A day they of day don't length. Do much. Things don't Interesting. do much. Interesting. It'd be great if we could see the sun again. It's been about three weeks. It has. Yes. It has. Sounds been a while. like maybe Saturday. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So let's go back to our phone lines here on the gardening show. First one of 2024, 800 348 2551. We welcome back regular correspondent Joan in Schenectady. Hello, Joan. <laughs> Hello, Ray. And delighted greetings to every one of all y'all. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hi um, I'm going to take you back to our last call, uh, uh, potting up some begonias that I came into uh, to a gifted possession of. I thought I had them clean. I thought I had uh, done everything I ought, but um, they, I think they developed some kind of a little mite, um, trimmed them, did all that. So some of them lived. Some of the, the stalks, I assume separate tubers, lived, and one or two died back. Should I dig up where I think the um, retiring or damaged tubers are and try to maybe put them in the refrigerator uh, or all of them, give them some rest? What do you think? I bet you got botrytis on it, don't you? Yeah. So, so you it's don't really want them. Hard. You don't want them to go into the refrigerator. They're mm-hmm. they're tropical essentially, so they they would not like the refrigerator. Um, if you okay. have, if you know that there are. They were all coming from some quorum, and there there are some in there that grew and then failed. Then those quorums are probably have failed, mm. and so you you if you have some that are sprouting that and look reasonable, uh, obviously those mm-hmm. are okay. And so you may want to separate them. Take you know, un you know dig up, you know maintain some minor root ball around the quorum that's. Um, sprouting alive and well and put that in a separate container and then keep that in a nice uh, warm bright location warm the other thing we've always done with begonias inside this time of year is put a fan on them 
they got to have some huh. air movement so you don't get petroleum okay. or mildew or something like that on them. Yeah. Okay, if, got if, it. If the, if the ones that failed, you know, failed because the stems collapsed, you know, they sort of mm-hmm, got that's soft. That's it. Yeah, then that is probably fungal. Um, okay. Uh, you're not getting any of those little brown uh, f- flies that are the size of fruit flies flying around, right? Any of those? I have had fungus gnats in the past, yeah. and like I said, I was searching for everything when I brought them in, but yeah. boy, so, they can surprise you. So well, that is a strong possibility. The reason to separate the good from the bad is to not have as much habitat for them as well, because they're going to love the idea oh. that you have some old rotting things in there. All right, Joan, thank you very much for the call. The number here is 800-348-2551. Grab an email here, and then we'll take a break and then go back to the phones on the gardening show today. This is from Megan in North Adams, who says she's a big fan of the berry patch. Well, thank you. Megan writes, I have a Kusa dogwood, which I've never done anything to. It's seven years old. Can I saw off limbs to start shaping it? If yes, when? All right, well, um, so Kusa dogwood, I generally prune in the summertime, uh, so midsummer, And I always say you have to have sort of a reason uh, for pruning. So, you know, just because it's summer and you have a coosa dogwood, um, you know, is not a reason to, to go out and prune. You have to, you know, shaping it is, a, is a certainly an ideal. Um, you want to learn to um, to train, for the most part, a single leader, a, lo- a lower case, um, eliminate a lot of low branch defects. Um, what happens when a tree grows in an urban area or a landscape versus a forest where a lot of these plants naturally grow is in a forest they want to grow straight up towards light so they form perfect structure without any pruning in a landscape they think um they sort of are the branch the the tree is getting full light so it thinks it's at the very top of the uh, of the forest and it just says i'm going to spread out and produce a lot of big low limbs and uh, a lot of large diameter low limbs um is not good so what you want to look for is is creating um smaller branching um in relation to the trunk we call it small aspect ratio branches and there's a bunch of stuff online about this um, but sometimes not taking branches off but just slowing the growth of branches is what you're trying to do in a lot of cases um, and uh, what happens is if my branch is too low that's one thing you have to raise it up but if it's a big a low forming branch and it gets large that's going to become a failure point. So what we do is we do little bits of pruning reductions on those branches to slow the growth. If it, uh, the flow of hormones, instead of going to those branches, goes up the tree, produces a fatter trunk, and it keeps the branches smaller. And, and uh, you know, that's sort of the direction to go. There's a great free website by the International Society of Arboriculture to get you started on some of these concepts, and it's uh, treesaregood.org. And, do, you, uh, do you agree that don't want to trim dogwoods any more than you have to. That's exactly it. That's they kind don't of the, really like it too much. Yeah, you, you know, in a lot of cases, um, we're we're st- I'm, you know I'm starting to realize over 25, 30 years, over 30 years now doing this stuff, um, that you know a lot of times um, you know don't take the branches off. See how you can reduce it. See, hey, I got a crossing branch. See if you can bend it. And actually get it to grow in a better spot. And so many times you can you can correct it from either a small reduction cut or bending them or propping them. Oh, this this is too tight of a, an angle of attachment. 
Well, you don't have to prune it off. You can bend that down. Young trees are very trainable. And, yeah. um, the, you know, the more, I've, the more I've done this, you know, the more I realize that sometimes less is more. And uh, you can accomplish a real lot sometimes with very little cuts. Great. And I, I would just add that, generally speaking, Coosa dogwoods don't require much of any pruning. Either yeah, that, that you may have a crossing branch, which you may be able to eliminate pretty easily if it's one branch on the tree. Yep. They do occasionally, they come both as sort of low branch, sort of, you could call it a clump form, but it's one trunk that then branches low. immediately yep. into multiple stems. And that, you know, you can open the bottom of that up a little bit by removing some crossing branches. And they also um, are pre-trained into what would be called single stem uh, trees so that they have one, uh, you know, trunk that comes up to a three or four foot level before the head forms. And they can get a little congested. I would definitely, if it's that young and it's doing that, I would let, definitely let that one go for quite some time because it will mm. kind of naturally open up yep. in a few more years. The only thing those ones do, I would say, is that they do occasionally sucker, which they, yep, they, they, will, do. they will sprout from the ground thinking they want to send more branches up. And because it was shaped already as a tree form, you may want to remove some of those. Okay, let's take a quick break here. It's Gardening with the Dale Isla Riggs, Fred Breglia, Bob Graves, and Greg Ward. The number is 800-348-2551. We'll be back. Gardening today on Vox Pop, 800-348-2551. Greg Ward, Fred Breglia, Dale Isler Riggs, and Bob Graves join us. A couple quick emails, and then we will jump back to the phones. Uh, this is from... I don't know yet. Uh, this is from Chris. Please ask what to do to get rid of invasive Russian sage. It's everywhere. I have an old plant that does not invade. Or, uh, yeah, old, not odd. Is that plant still available? Um, there's a lot of selections of Russian sage, Perovskia. Um, I have never, this is the first I've ever heard of it being uh, that aggressive. Um, you know, they're, they're technically little woody um, perennials they're not they're you know they they have a woody base and um, yeah they will if they like the spot if it's really sunny well-drained soil they certainly will spread and compete with other perennials in your garden but it's not something you're going to find off in the hedgerow somewhere usually you can dig it if yeah, you want to so get rid of it just dig it out like like you know gardening is yeah. is you know it's work and you you change things <laughs> around and you it's or I like to say gardening is art yeah. Right? Haven't I said that before? Yeah. No, but oh, I like, okay. well, you might have, but I might have forgotten. No, yeah, plant, plants are not children. You can throw them yeah. away. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah. oh, that's a good one. So, Bob, Bob goes for the dark route <laughs> <They're> already. <laughs> right. Thanks, Bob. So you can certainly be moving them around um, at, you know, at any point. Not, not necessarily quite ready yet, but this spring, once they wake up, you can be taking sections of them and moving them around or... Prior to that, you can be taking sections out and keeping the. the That's the essence smaller. of perennial gardening: is split it, move it, yeah. give it away. All right, uh, Tracy in Waterville says, "I have a portable greenhouse. Uh, I want to use it to grow veggies. When should I start the seeds, and when should I move them to the greenhouse?" Well, that all depends what types of veggies you want to grow and when you want to start to harvest them. Um, if she wanted to do some. Early season greens, she could probably start seeding those in about two to three weeks. Um, 
not sure if she's growing them in pots or in the ground, but starting the seed in two to three weeks for early season greens like Asian greens and lettuce mm. and spinach and arugula and things like that would be fine. Certainly things like tomatoes and peppers, you want to wait significantly later. Uh, we don't start any of our tomato seeds until the middle of April. Um, so it really depends what she wants to be well, growing. Well, what Tracy tried to grow with the greenhouse obviously didn't work out, and it, I wasn't sure if it was legal at the time, so I'm not bringing it up. But she's going for vegetables now, so that, there okay. you have it. Tracy, Tracy thank um, you. I mean, and so if she's going to start those early greens, would it be better to do it in the ground, or would a container, you think, work even if she had no heat source? Uh I would start them in what we call plug trays. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's how we do it, is we get a 72 or 128 cell plug tray. It's just that yep. many cells yeah. in a tray and fill it with some potting mix, sprinkle the seed on top, and it'll. a lot of the early season greens uh, will, will sprout in just a couple days. Let them get to where the plug is filled up with roots and then she can plant them in the ground. How can a greenhouse be portable? Is it inflatable? Well, no, it must just be... Um, suggest it's small. Small. Yeah, it's you just get probably, a couple people pick it up. You know, That's the last thing. Probably maybe. a couple of people pick it up, or yeah. it might have some removable panels. It's, okay. It's, uh, Let's go back to our... i got a friend of mine that has a pretty extensive greenhouse, and he calls that mo you know, movable. Um, it but takes he needs a, couple, a lot of friends take, to you help. you got to have a handful of friends to get <laughs> right. it over. <laughs> but, All right. Uh, you know, theoretically, my dead body well, would, know, would be mobile, right too, but you have to pick me up. All right. Let's go to Waterford and Tom. You're on. Hi, thanks for taking the call. Um, let me try to give you the visual. Um, to the left of my driveway is a, is a old uh, maple tree. It's about 15 feet off the driveway. Uh, the ground level is about 18 to 24 inches above the driveway level, and it doesn't taper off. I mean, it, I mean, it, it's, it rises quickly. And what I want to do is I want to slice it down and taper it so I can end up backing something to the left side of my house. And I'm worried about the root structure uh, and whether I'm going to kill the tree. Yeah, so you're, you're definitely going to impact it. You know, so the typical physiology of the tree, think about the feeder roots, not the tr roots that are anchoring the tree or keeping it upright, but the ones that are actually out there gathering you know, nutrients and water and et cetera. So those roots sp uh, spread out two times the canopy spread on any mature tree, at least, at least two times the canopy spread. So um, that being said, you know, any, any, and then, the, you know, the morphology of these roots, they don't grow, their feeder roots are, are only about 15 inches under the soil or less so 15 to 12 you know 12 to 15 inches under the soil so that's where the air is that's where the available you know um, water is and that's where the, the roots will tend to go so anytime you impact that zone you're going to do something the closer you go to that tree you know the larger the roots will be and the more impact you'll have and um, when you look at your tree, you know, you, you, you said it's uh, got a driveway on one side, so that means it's 15 feet away from the driveway, I think you said. So you, um, so you probably have a limited root zone on that side anyways. It's, it's, they're, you know, typically they're not growing into the driveway because they want to. Um, the only time they get into driveways when there's cracks and there's opportunity for water or air. So generally they're not going to be under your driveway, especially if it's been there a while. So, you know, anything you do to it is going to impact it. And, you know, your, your goal is going to be to, you know, sort of look at that um, circle of root mass and figure out how much of that root mass is going to be deterred by or damaged by the work that you're going to do. 
And if you think that's a, you know, a really small amount of that root mass, then the tree has the ability to overcome it. And if you think that that, you know, part of that root mass is going to be fairly large or up to, you know, 30 percent or more of the tree, then you're definitely going to see some corresponding, you know, uh, effect on the above part of that tree. And, you know, generally speaking, it takes about three, unless it's really damaged bad, it takes about three years to kind of see some of that damage. So it's it's definitely a prolonged thing. So less is more. Can you do some? Yes. Um, if you wanted to email me a few photos, I would I would take a look at it, try to, you know, maybe advise you a little bit more. Uh, the email is fred at landisarboretum.org. But um, less is more when it comes to disturbing root zones. And, and uh, anytime you just drive over that zone, you're also compacting root um, airspace. And that's also really bad. It's, it's real easy to compact soils. It's, uh, you know, you can do it in minutes. Uh, it takes a lot of work to uncompact them. So anytime you're driving around those root systems, you, you want to be really careful not to compress the soil. Um, and, and so, Fred, if, if he had space that was 20 feet away from the trunk, you know, not the 15-foot section that is closest to the driveway, but then that's probably going to be the better place to make some cut into the bank in order to have an additional drive. Yeah, more, more the, the further away, the better, you know, generally speaking. And right. if he's got to go to if, the 15-foot section, like two feet or three feet or something. But if this tree's be... canopy spreads out and it's a, you know, it's been here a while, I'm, I, do, you have, do you have an idea how wide the canopy spread no, out we, is? We lost them. Oh, so, so if the canopy spreads out 50 feet, then the root system's going out 100 feet. Okay. You know, and 15 feet is probably only limited, my guess, by the size of this tree, it's only limited by the, the, the driveway. If there was okay. no driveway there, um, you would have a lot more roots in that zone as well. So... You know, less is more, but can they handle some some impact? Yes, they certainly can, and you know it happens all the time. And trees have the ability to overcome. So, all right, let's like go people. to Dalton, Massachusetts, and Judy. Hello, Judy. Hi, I was uh, receiving some poppies from Alaska. They're pink poppies, and the seeds. And uh, I just wondered when is a good time to plant them in Western Massachusetts. The seeds. Uh, um, so, so, you know, they, uh, you could definitely plant them this spring, very, very similar to, to the way um, Dale Isla said, in some in some plug trays or in some small pots. Get them started. You could do that anytime starting next month if you have some indoor space. Otherwise, um, wait until uh, May, and then you can scatter them in some garden area directly and see what you get. Yeah, they kind of like it warm. I don't want to do them too early. It, does that make sense? It depends on if you you know if you want to if you have the space to get them going sooner, so you could be transplanting them in late May or first of okay. June. Okay, where I was going to, to put them is in an area where there's a shrine and there's a lot of forget-me-nots that come up there. I wonder shall I have to get all of them out of there to accommodate so, the poppies? So yeah, so what you might want to do if you're going to wait until spring, the the forget-me-nots will all come okay. in. You can then cultivate and remove most of that and then add the seeds and then just, you know, keep an eye on it so that other uh, forget-me-nots don't move in. All right, Judy. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot for the call. We go now to Remsen. Bob is in Remsen. How are you? Good. Hi, everybody. Hi. Hello. Hi. Um, For the first time this year, I grew a clematis in in a pot. And just before Thanksgiving, 
and I moved it inside just to protect it. It was already, you know, died back. I put it in a cool room, dark corner, watered sparingly, and now it's uh, leafing out. Is there anything I can do to curb the leaving? Um, it's, it, you probably could leave it where it is for a little while longer. Um, it would have probably been ideal to keep it cooler in some way, and that, you know, actually this winter could have been just leave it outside in the corner somewhere. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, if you had set but it who in, knew? you know, yeah, set it in the garage or in an outbuilding um, rather than any heat source, because they can, they can definitely be, um, you know, frozen, you know, even that pot can be frozen as long as it's not um, exposed to a lot of sun where it's heating up and cooling down all, all the time. It just stays cold. So, so, Right now, it's it thinks it's you know it's, it's broken dormancy. Yeah, the first of it May. Thinks or second, you know, it thinks so it's spring. It thinks They can take some cool weather. So if you have a cool, um, sunny like uh, uh, enclosed porch yeah. where it doesn't really get hot, you know maybe there's no actual heat source, but it doesn't really um, you know get colder than 25 degrees if it's 10 degrees out. That it can tolerate that. Bob, but you can't put it outside. To, uh, otherwise, it's going to, um, you know, get too cold and get damaged, and probably, uh, probably not make it. All right, Bob. Thank you very much for the call. Appreciate it. Let's go to North Adams, and it's Diane's turn. Hello, Diane. Hi. I'm so happy to hear the gardeners are back. Oh yeah. Um, I have a question about pruning my nine bark, but first, I just want to say that about. Uh, two dozen years ago, maybe it's longer ago, um, I took the turf short course uh, from Frank Rossi at Cornell, and we had a wonderful time looking at the grub butts. <laughs> the, the grub butts, all right. And, Cor- and Cornell does have a really good website um, where they explain uh, that. And, you know, so when, if anyone really wants to ID uh, grubs, Cornell University's got mm. some great uh, great resources well, for that. I and never had can, anybody jump at the chance to do that. You can expand. <laughs> you really like that. You can expand uh, to uh, yeah, identifying mosquitoes as well. There you go. <laughs> All right. What else you got, Diane? So, so my question is, I foolishly planted a nine bark too close to the house. And when I, when I trim it, I want to mostly trim the branches that are touching the house. But then, am I gonna, am I gonna uh, end up with half a nine block? Yeah. So or, yeah. you know, a- you, you wanna, you know, we're we're all gonna tell you that you want to sort of go in and reduce the entire plant. So you're gonna take heavy branches from the base completely out, or or substantially okay. out, so that you end up with some branches still coming from the base that ha- that you know when they reach the top you haven't really cut you've simply made the entire plant smaller so when so so right. we often talk about lilacs that. that way yeah i was going to say it's similar to in 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 a, in a way to lilac pruning uh, a lot of those border type shrubs yeah. are the yep they also move really well they, uh, that's that's the so next question i was going to say move could you move wait till the spring before it breaks dormancy the ground still hasn't you know it's thawed really? oh they'll move really easy even yeah, after even, dormancy. even if yeah even <laughs> after dormancy but if you got it when it's sleeping and the ground's movable just move it 
um, even if some of the soil falls off, it's they just transplant really well. And even if they've been there a while, they transplant pretty well. So, okay. you know, that's what I would suggest. Oh, instead dog. of Yep, just I'm move it to where you it need it. Then. Yep. And Yay. then and then if you do move it, um, I, I wouldn't really do much pruning with it and unless you see some dieback on some limbs and you could take some of the dead stuff. Sometimes you'll see, yeah. see a little bit of dieback when you move it because of some root damage. But, um, okay. you know, I would do less pruning the first year after you move it. But definitely move it. That's... That's going to be the you know the best solution long term. Diane, thanks a lot. Let's quickly go. We only have about forty five seconds, but let's go to Carrie in Great Barrington. Uh oh, that's loud. Hello, Carrie, you're on. I have a question. Um, about a year ago, I have invasive bamboo in my yard. I cut it down to the ground, covered it with cardboard, and then plastic bags. It's still growing. What would be my next step? Oh boy. Keep at uh, it. Yeah, get yeah. a backhoe. <laughs> Dig it out. So, uh, yeah, so that, that um, you know, Japanese knotweed, or if it is a true bamboo, bamboo um, you know, if you, if you can mow the area, that works mm. really well. But covering, as you are already doing, continuing to do that is, is the al- other alternative. I've seen it come up through blacktop. So you have to keep after oh, it. Oh gosh! You got to keep after it. You um, any place you see it growing, if you can keep it cutting it and don't let it photosynthesize, don't let it get any leaves. Yeah. Be really, really vigilant early in the spring when it's coming out. You can you can beat this plant. It's a long fight though, Carrie. We've been fighting this one for twenty some yeah. odd years at my house. It, they're they're tenacious. You got to get your neighbors on board too. If you know if it's in the neighbor's yard, and, yeah, uh, my neighbors really don't speak to me. So right, you're never gonna get it. You're never gonna win that battle otherwise. <laughs> All right, Carrie, thanks for the call. We appreciate it very much. Uh, Dale Isla Riggs, how do we find the Berry Patch in person and online? Uh, theberrypatch.net and in person on Route 22 in Steventown, but I can't say we're doing a whole lot right now. Okay, so don't come now is what you're don't saying. Don't come now. When should they come? Uh, May. All right, so just cool your jets. She'll be back in May. Uh, Greg Ward, Ward's Nursery. Uh, yeah, we are open um, at 600 South Main Street in Great Barrington or online at wardsnursery.com. And Bob Graves. Fatigansnursery.com. We're open every day, and we are two and a half miles west of Route 87 on Route 7. That's pre- you practiced that. I did. Good for you. Fred Breglia, the Landis Arboretum. Yeah, that's landisarboretum.org. You can find us at 174 on Lape Road in Esperance, New York. We're open dawn to dusk year-round, and, uh, you know, donations are accepted, but it's always free of charge. You know what? This was fun, and we're going to do it again and again and again. So uh, next month, right? That's yes. when we're on again, and then we'll jump to two weeks yep. in the warm weather months. Well, this was great. Thanks for being here. Support comes from the Albany Pine Bush Preserve, presenting Pine Bush Perspectives, a juried photo exhibit on display through February, both outside and on the trail and inside the Discovery Center, albanypinebush.org. And Studio KTM Salon Red Hook, specializing in all phases of cut and organic color from corrective to fashion by stylist Kristen Marquette, studioktm.com. Once again, thanks to Fred Breglia, Bob Graves, Greg Ward, and Dale Isla Riggs for being here. Thank you for listening. Great calls, great emails. If we didn't get to yours, these folks will be back. Thanks to Zach, our engineer. Susie Chekai screened the calls. I'm Ray Graff. Tomorrow on Food Friday, we welcome back Holly Shelowitz to talk about tasty things to eat. I'm told she wants to talk about chocolate, but that seems too good to be true. I'll believe it when I see it. See you tomorrow at 2. 